the Cove by Charlie Blackmore. Headlights illuminate the long, winding dirt road as a dark van slowly creeps up the hillside. Rocks slam into the side of the mechanical vessel due to the tires rolling over them. The magnificent creation tackles one small hill before coming to an abrupt stop. Six young people exit the vehicle, stretching their tired and cramped limbs. Yawns escape their mouths as they open the rear compartment of the van. Each person grabs a backpack and other equipment from the car. The group is rather quiet. They help one another strap the gear to their bodies, grabbing anything easy to carry, and double-check to make sure they hadn't missed anything that might be needed later on. The group nod to one another just as they begin their journey into the Virginia woods. This isn't the first time that this particular group of people have been here. They have been here many times when they were younger, which is why they had decided that camping in these woods for an entire week would be the perfect end to their summer since they would all be going separate ways for college soon. One week away from the rest of civilization is indeed the perfect and only way to spend their remaining time together. Hours have passed by as the friends hike further into the woods, climbing up and down hills, pushing tree branches and bushes out of their way. The plan is to stop five miles north of where they had parked the van. Sweat rolls down the faces of each teenager. Damn, it must be hot in those woods. Long, leaf-covered branches outstretch, as if to keep something concealed from the rest of the world when the group nears their destination. The hikers push through the branches to see the old, abandoned camping ground. They all came to a halt, small smiles residing on their lips as they began to set their bags down. Empty bottles of water are tossed into a trash bag as each member of the group works to get their tent set up. Fishing gear is stacked by one of the tall oak trees, the sap oozing out of them a deeper color than remembered. The campers decided that it would be faster and safer if they went in pairs to gather wood for fires they will be making throughout the week. Well, what should we do now? A girl asks. There's not really a lot to do, Maya. We could either go swimming or fishing. A boy responds. How about both? Someone else proposes. Alright, that sounds fair. Maya agrees. Maya and her friends grab their fishing gear and set out to walk down toward the lake where they had so many memories while growing up. They climb down a rocky hill until the crystal clear blue water sparkling underneath the mid-morning sunlight comes into view. Carolyn, Caitlin, and I are going to swim while you, Corey, and Jeremiah fish. Sound good, Max? Maya inquires. Yes, he nods. Max, Corey, and Jeremiah stand on the bank of the lake, fishing poles in hand as they watch the girls jump into the water below. Leaves on the trees sway in the wind. A low whisper floats in the air towards the boys. The water looks refreshing. However, it must have caused Max to have the sudden urge to urinate because he wanders off into the nearby trees. He isn't gone more than a few moments before the others hear what sounds like screaming. Hey! Max shouts. Come quick! 
Cory and Jeremiah drop their fishing poles while the girls swim their way back to the hillside. They quickly climb the bank and run through the trees in the direction of Max's voice. Cory skids to a stop once he sees his friend. Max is standing in front of a large opening in the side of the hill. What the hell is that? Cory asks. A cave of some sort, Max says. Do you know what's in it? I didn't even know it was here. Caitlin shakes her head. Caves don't spontaneously appear. Jeremiah interrupts. It's had to have been here all these years and we just didn't notice. That's impossible. It's too big not to see. Carolyn points. She was right. There was not any possible way that they wouldn't have noticed it, considering how many times they had been there. Come on, let's explore it. Are you stupid? That thing could collapse at any moment. Max refuses. Besides, we, we don't have flashlights. We don't need flashlights to find out what is in there. I said no! He shouts. Stop being a baby! Maya sneers. Maya is the first one to bravely step into the cave, her hands feeling along the side of the rocky structure to keep herself steady. Max watches as everyone follows his twin sister into the eerie cave. Something about this doesn't seem right. His lips curl into a frown before his hands curl into tight fists. He heavily sighs and reluctantly hurries after her friends. The cave engulfs the teenagers one by one as they stumble and curse their way further into the darkened abyss. Sunlight fades with each passing moment. Someone kicks rocks in front of them in order to determine exactly where they are. However, there is no way for these kids to know how far into the cave they are. They continue to walk forward until a blue light flashes some place in front of them. A few gasps and other strange noises come from deep within the cave, causing the people to only quicken their pace, eager to find what lies ahead. Jeremiah is the first person to reach the part of the cave where the light is. His eyes widen upon discovering the luminescent water swirling around. He kneels on the ground beside the pond, dipping his fingers into the rather warm water. This... this is a cove, he stammers. Okay, so there's a weird pond in here. That's great. Let's go back now, Max says. Oh no. Carolyn glares at him. We are not leaving until we at least swim in this. Uh, I agree with Max. I don't think we should stay. Maya nervously interjects. You guys can go if you want, but I am swimming. Cory chuckles. He bends down and sticks in his hand in the middle of the swirling water, only to suck in. His brief screams are quickly muffled by the sound of rushing water. Caitlin reaches in to try and grab him, yet she too is sucked into the whirling vortex. What you seek is within. A harsh voice whispers. Who's there? Carolyn shouts. You need not know who I am, dearie. I am only a messenger, sent here to tell you that what you are searching for is on the other side of the water. It answers. 
Let's leave, Max urges. He turns around to face the opening where they had entered, only to find that it is no longer there. His face drains of all color upon seeing the translucent figure floating in the air. Afraid no one leaves the cove. Alive, anyway. There has to be a way out of here, Maya says. The four friends are left to run around the edges of the water, desperately searching for a way out of the damn cave. They bang, kick, and scratch at the limestone walls surrounding them, yet it's hopeless. There isn't another way out, and if there is, then they aren't finding it. They are completely trapped with no way of calling for help. This isn't possible. There has to be a way out of this place, Max says. I didn't even want to come here in the first place. This is all your fault, Maya. My... my fault? You're the one who found this freaking place? Maya shouts. Sure, I found it, but you're the one who just had to go in. There is one other way out. The harsh voice interrupts. Which is? Carolyn inquires. Two lives may be spared. If a sacrifice is made, it replies. Two lives may be... No, absolutely not. If two people were to give up their lives, then two shall be free to leave the cove. The choice is yours. Four of us are walking out of this place, Max growls. A devilish grin appears on the translucent figure's face just as the four friends are enveloped in the beautifully warm water. Max and Carolyn manage to grab a hold of one another just as Maya and Jeremiah do, but something loudly growls from underneath them. The sound echoes through the water. A large, scaled, shark-like creature rushes towards the surface, biting and chomping at the bodies of Max and Carolyn. Maya lets out an inaudible scream as she watches her brother being torn to shreds. Jeremiah pulls her upward as he fights the current. The water seems to let up as the creature continues to chomp at the pieces of flesh floating around. Jeremiah somehow manages to grab a hold of the rocky ground beside the water before the two of them scramble to their feet. They run past the figure, who is now manically laughing, and through the opening where they had originally entered. They trip, fall, and stumble their way back out of the cave and collapse onto the solid earth, their bodies laying within the tall grass of the woods. The cove had been there for many years, disguising itself as just another structure of the earth, lurking and waiting for the opportune moment to open its mouth to devour the innocent. Whatever resides within the cove isn't from this world and its thirst for bloodshed is only beginning. Maya and Jeremiah are the only two that managed to escape that hungry place that thousands had entered. I'm a Good Person by Woofie17 I am a loving person. Every day I wake up, 
I help my ten-year-old daughter get ready for school, then prepare breakfast for the both of us. After that, we will walk hand-in-hand hand to her school. At her school, I will kiss her goodbye, pat her on the back, and tell her I love her. I will wait at the gate waving at my daughter until she disappears behind that corridor. I am a kind person. After sending my daughter to school, I begin walking to work. I smile at people I pass, giving them small encouragements as I walk on by. On the way to work, I also see many, too many, homeless people along the road. Out of the kindness in my heart, I never fail to dig out some loose change in my pockets to give to them, hoping to bring some relief to their suffering. I am a helpful person. During work, there will always be those few people who don't quite seem to understand some simple things. But it's alright. No matter what kind of problems they face, from printer problems to Excel problems, I will always lend them a helping hand. I will put down my work and help them until they figure out their problems. I am a selfless person. After work, I am not like everyone else. I don't get in my luxury sports car and drive back to home to lie on the sofa or stare at the television. No, not me. Instead, I will head to the nearby nursing home to help volunteer there. I will help with the cooking, some cleaning, or maybe simply just lend a listening ear to the abandoned old folks. I enjoy volunteering there a lot, and the people there feel the same way towards me. As you can see, I am a good person. After volunteering, I immediately head back home. After all, my daughter is probably home already. The first thing I do as I reach home is to give my precious daughter a hug. I will listen to her day carefully and talk to her. Then, I proceed to the kitchen to prepare our dinner. I first prepare my daughter's favorite hamburger and fries, followed by my simple meal of meat, veggies, and rice. Lastly, I prepare a bland bowl of porridge, in case someone gets hungry. Then we eat! We sit together in the dining room, and we eat together and share more about our day. Finally, after we eat, I do the dishes, I clean and clean and clean, and ensure everything is spotless. You might imagine that after I have done so much, it is now time for me to rest. But that's not right. I have one last thing to do. I grab that bowl of porridge and proceed to the backyard. I walk quickly and purposefully to the shed at the back then open the dog door. I quietly insert the bowl into the shed. Hello. The food is here. Consume it quickly and then push it back out. It's not much, but whatever. I muttered softly as I knock on the door. Immediately comes a series of crying from the other side of the door. I block out the noise, smile to myself, then walk back to the house. And that's my last job of the day. I decide to go spend some time with my daughter in her room. As I walk in, I see her face light up at the sight of me. Dad, Dad, you know the bully at school? 
He already hasn't been in school for a whole week. I'm starting to think that he's never coming back. Oh, I'm so happy. She shouts in glee. I smile at her joy and reply. That's wonderful. Remember not to go in the shed, all right? There's lots of dangerous equipment in there. My daughter nods and continues snuggling in my arms. I think... Don't worry, child. I've taken care of him for you. You'll never, ever be hurt by him again. I'll protect you, my beautiful girl. See, I'm a loving, kind, helpful, and selfless father. I am a good person. And no one is allowed to hurt my daughter. There's been a string of suicides in my town. The victims always break their mirrors first. By Worcester Street. A half dozen police cars crowded in the gravel driveway, their headlights lighting up a row of trees. The gnarled shadows they threw against the walls of the farmhouse swayed gently in the breeze. I pulled my hair back into a ponytail as I stepped over a line of yellow police tape. I didn't want to be accused of contaminating any evidence. A young officer eyed me suspiciously as I approached the house, but let me pass through the front door. He knew why I was there. I found Jack's corpse in the upstairs bedroom, the blood from his self-inflicted gunshot wound still wet and sticky. Detective Marston, a thin, balding man, stood in the center of the room, writing something in a notebook. Hello, Jane, he said as I stepped through the doorway. I'm surprised you didn't beat me here. I ignored the comment, squatting down near Jack's body. Most of his head was missing, and a thick iron scent hung in the air. The old man wore a pair of blue overalls now spackled with blood. A piece of paper poked out of his chest pocket. I shot a look over my shoulder at Detective Marston. You mind? I asked. Be my guest. I pulled the paper out and unfolded it delicately. There were a few words written in his shaky hand. It read, It keeps getting closer. It keeps coming closer. I took a picture of the note with my phone before handing it over to the detective for him to read. He read it over a few more times and paused. I knew he wanted to ask me about it, even if he hated that he needed me. You've got to have some kind of explanation of this for me, he said. I did. But Marson didn't need to know what my guess was. I'd been working for three months on these suicides, and I'd finally managed to win his trust. I wasn't about to blow all my credibility on a guess that would have him questioning my sanity. Instead, I shot a look down the hallway. Maybe, I said. I got a few questions first. All the mirrors in the house are broken, I assume? Just like the other cases, yeah, Marston said. 
Anything that can show a reflection is either broken or thrown out. Who found him? I found the body myself. You guessed that he'd be the next to go. So, I decided to drive out and check on him. I swung my head at the sound of crunching gravel. A car came to a stop in front of the house. The headlights flicked off and a girl stepped out, her hands covering her mouth. She looked to be about 20 years old. I shot a questioning look at Marston. It's Olivia, his granddaughter, he said. She's the only one left alive in Jack's family. We caught her half an hour ago. He stared at me, his eyes hard. Is she going to be next? I shut my eyes and rubbed my forehead. Yeah, probably. Marston cursed. I handed him a business card. If you wrote anything else down, please let me know. He took the card with a grunt, stuffing it into his back pocket. I left the room and made my way out of the house and down the driveway. I stopped in front of the girl and extended my hand. I'm sorry for your loss, I said. My name is Jane. I'm a private investigator working on this case. Olivia's eyes hardened, and she didn't take my hand. I don't have anything to say to a reporter. I am not a reporter. I paused, gathering my resolve. And if you don't come with me, I think you're going to die like the rest of your family. Her eyes widened. I'm... Whatever is causing these suicides is spreading. I said. Spreading to friends and family of the victims. First it was your aunt, then your cousin, now your grandpa. You're the last one. It might already be too late, but it's possible I can help you. She looked from me to the farmhouse over my shoulder, suddenly looking as if she might cry. Okay, what should I do? Come with me. She paused for another moment before nodding, and we walked to my car. Olivia. I said. Yeah? Don't look at any mirrors on my car or otherwise. Why? Just don't trust me. She stared at me as if I was crazy. But when she saw I was serious, she agreed. I drove towards the road, gravel crunching under my tires. The first few minutes of the drive passed in silence. Olivia took a deep breath, and she turned to look at me. So, what's gonna happen to me? First, I'll tell you what I know. Then, what I guess. I said, running off the details in my mind. The pattern for each victim is the same. According to their friends and family, victims start by showing erratic and paranoid behavior. Grandpa Jack was the same, Olivia said. Ever since he found my aunt's body. I nodded. Their paranoid behavior is always followed by them breaking or covering all the reflective surfaces. Suicide comes next. The next victim is usually a close friend or family member, typically in the same household. 
They begin to show the same paranoid symptoms, they commit suicide soon after, and the psychosis spreads again. If that's what you know, she said, what do you guess? I swallowed hard. I don't. I don't think that this is the work of a serial killer. Each method of suicide is different, and I don't know of any drugs or poison that can cause a specific type of psychosis in a victim ranging from teenagers to retirees. I shook my head. I probably should have dismissed that probably a long time ago. If not a serial killer, then what? I... Uh... I said, trailing off as we reached my apartment. I paused to park and walk up the flight of stairs to my door, locking the deadbolt behind us for all the good it'd do. Then what? She asked again. I walked to my home office and pulled out a folder. I followed up on nearly 30 deaths over the past three months. Some of them left suicide notes. I pulled out the pictures I'd taken from the crime scenes. Most of the suicide notes were short, and all were disjointed and confusing. I handed them to her one at a time. I saw it reflected in Marge's eyes. Even her eyes aren't safe. I can't sleep. It'll be watching me. The fingers. The fingers. It was in my rearview mirror today, almost touching me. Olivia continued to flip through the suicide notes, her expression growing more and more disturbed. I finally pulled out my phone and showed her the note her grandfather had written. It keeps getting closer. It keeps coming closer. Was this from my grandpa? Olivia asked. Her voice choked. Yes, and like I said, I think you're next. I said. She stared at me in horror. What do I do? Every victim broke their mirrors, and several mentioned reflections in their suicide notes. This means it's for the best if you avoid them. I'll cover the one hanging in my bathroom. You should also give me your phone. The black screen has a reflection, and I don't want to take any chances. She nodded numbly. I took down my bathroom mirror and set it in the corner of my living room before covering it with a blanket. You can sleep on the couch. We'll talk more tomorrow. It was hard to sleep that night. My mind was flooded with images of the brutal suicides I'd investigated over the past months. Olivia was a rare opportunity. I had control over a victim before psychosis set in. Maybe I could save her. Maybe. The next morning I woke up and found Olivia sitting on my couch, staring into space. Her head swiveled at me. I was afraid I'd see violence or fear in her eyes. Instead, I saw intensity. I need to look in the mirror. She said. Why? I asked. Whatever the others saw was enough to basically break their minds. It could kill you. I need to know. You can cover it up once I see it. I almost rejected the idea. But my curiosity got the better of me. 
Would I see something in the reflection behind her? Was one exposure enough to kill her? Okay. I said, bringing my still-covered mirror out from the corner. I grabbed the corner and slowly lifted the blanket, watching Olivia's face for any reaction. She stared at the mirror intently until the blanket was pulled away. Then she shook her head and looked at me. I don't see anything. Really? I asked, my mind racing. Maybe it had jumped to a neighbor instead. Maybe Jack had a bowling friend or something. Maybe... My phone rang, the chirp making me jump. I looked at the display. It was Detective Marston. Detective? I said. You have any new information for me? It... 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 I, I see it. He said, his voice trembling. What? I asked, my face suddenly cold. I broke the mirror so I wouldn't see it anymore, but it's still reflected in the shards. Jane, Jane, please help me. You said you had a guess. Why didn't you tell me about this? Oh God, I thought about it again. If I look in the bathroom, I'll see it. Oh God, even my phone. His voice cut off with the sound of the phone hitting the floor. Marston? I shouted. Marston, I'm coming. I hung up and turned to Olivia. I was wrong. I said. It wasn't you. It, it was a detective. There might still be time. I ran down to my car, surprised that Olivia was running down the steps behind me. We sped across town, Olivia dialing the police while I snaked down several windy country roads. I reached Marston's house told Olivia to stay in the car and ran up the steps to his front door. It was unlocked. Marston lay inside the bath. Blood spattered the white tiles. A piece of shattered mirror hung limply in one hand. He'd taken it to his own neck. I looked away, doing my best to choke down the vomit that rose in my throat. Then he gasped his eyes flicking open. I... I didn't even know him, he said, his voice rasping and gurgling. I just found the body. That was all. He trailed off, blood choking off his words. His head slumped forward, a few drops flicking off his nose. I leaned against the wall of the bathroom, trying to control my breathing. It was the most gruesome thing I'd ever seen. Then, I slowly looked to my left. His medicine cabinet still hung on the wall. Its mirror had been shattered in the center. Long cracks surrounding a central point. I saw myself reflected two dozen times in the individual shards. I thought back through all the cases. All the victims. Family members, friends, neighbors. They weren't just close to the victims. Each of them had found the victims' bodies. I looked at Martin's now lifeless body 
then looked back at the mirror. The mirror swung, changing my view from myself to a view of the kitchen. A figure stood there, reflected two dozen times in the shards. It was impossible to get a good view due to the damage, but it was a creature with eyes sunken deep in its skull. Its hands had long, gnarled fingers. It was staring at me. I thought Martin's body was the worst thing I'd ever seen, but this was far, far worse. I slammed my palms over my eyes, the broken image of the creature burning into my brain like a hot iron. I vomited onto the tiles before running for the front door with my hands still clamped firmly onto my face. My foot hit the top step and twisted, and I fell down the rest of them in a tangled heap. Blood oozed from scrapes on my elbows, knees, and forehead, but I didn't remove my hands from my eyes. I lay in the grass, the warm sun on my face, and I wished for nothing more than the will to claw my own eyes out. That thing was following me. I had no doubt. I had no doubt it was getting closer to me. The thought of seeing it again forced me to my side, where I vomited again. Jane? Olivia said, scrambling to my side. Jane, what happened? You're not next, Olivia. I said, my voice little more than a whisper. I'm next. My mom left me a set of tapes to watch after she died. By T.J. Lee My mom was the sort of person to look like a wallflower, until you got close and then spat out facts about her favorite animal. It was an emperor penguin. She said their journey for love and parenthood was the hardest and most connecting with her. I'm told all the usual things about her. She had a smile that could light up a room. Her laugh cut through the malaise of an awkward party. Her stride was confident, and her form was elegant. From the day I could understand what it was to be remembered, she was painted to me as a true goddess. After all, aren't all moms supposed to be that to their children growing up? Mom died when I was four. Aggressive cancer riddled her body with tumors, stole her stride, her smile, her laugh, everything in just 18 short months. I didn't see her for much of it, but if I did, I obviously didn't remember. I heard somewhere we don't start forming memories until we're around two years old, and implicit memories those unconscious memories that stick with us automatically aren't even until we're seven. So essentially, my mother was already dead for three years before I could even unconsciously think of the word mom and go to her face. A face that was stolen from me. A face that I'll never see. I'm giving you this background information now because it's vital that you understand my mom before we get into the thick of it. 
I can't sit here and tell you I love my mom unconditionally. I didn't know her. Dad was never in the picture, so grandparents were where I was shipped off to. Good people, kind people. They raised me on stories of my mom and made sure to do the one thing she'd requested when her sickness finally got her. Show Nick the milestone tapes. For those unaware, a milestone tape is something where a loved one, usually a parent, records a loving video to congratulate their kin on a moment they're missing out on. First day of school, marriage, you get the picture. I remember being five years old. I'd not long tripped on the stairs after miscalculating my steps and smashed my front tooth on the top step, sending my first baby tooth flying. Thankfully, the pain was short-lived in my mind. I was mere days from my birthday, and a surprise trip to Disneyland was coming up. In the middle of packing, I was sat down in front of the TV with my grandpa Mihail, and him putting in these pristine discs. A gaudy logo flashing up on the screen still burned into my retinas to this day. Gone but not deleted. A video message from Leonora Stankowski. The image would flicker for just a moment. Always just a moment each time. Then she'd appear. A young woman sat in a black leather armchair with a small table to her side and patterned wallpaper behind her. She was in her late twenties, with her raven black hair tied in a messy bun, strands curled and dangling down her porcelain face, a beauty mark sitting just beneath her right eye, the pairing of them shining like emeralds that caught the first ray of sunshine. Black lipstick gave way to shimmering teeth and a smile that made even an oblivious little me feel lost. Hi, Pumpkin. It's Mommy. I hope my little prince is watching the throne while I'm away. How can you be nearly six years old and already losing your baby teeth? <laughs> You're growing up too fast, little man. She puffed out her cheeks as she feigned a frown before giggling. My heart sank in my chest. I knew something wasn't right even then. Her tone was playful, buoyant, and full of joy. Like she'd never missed a moment of my life. Make sure you put your tooth under your pillow tonight. Dead Amihail will make sure the tooth fairy comes, and nothing else. She raised a single finger with a wink, posing for a moment before her face fell. Her posture sank, and she fell back into the armchair a tad, growing smaller as she coughed. After a moment, she cleared her throat with a quiet dignity, and made sure the hand she coughed into went out of shot as she fixated on the camera with a weak smile. Mommy loves you, my little crown prince. Close your eyes and breathe with me. I looked at my grandfather and, with tears streaming down his face and a bite on his lip, he put a hand on my shoulder and nodded. I did as I was told and took a long breath in. The air cold 
and filling my lungs, intoxicating me as I heard her words. The same words I'd come to hear at the end of every video she recorded. I'll always be with you. And so it went. For every milestone I undertook, there was an accompanying video. When I graduated middle school, when I rode my first bike, even when I broke my first bone, she had a video ready. I was around 11 when biking home from school, I collided with a speeding driver. Bastard didn't even stop as my small body careened over his windscreen. Rolled over the hood and smashed into that concrete, tearing my right arm to pieces. Passersby said it was a freak accident, that the car just appeared out of nowhere and then vanished. But hell, what do hit-and-run drivers do? Speed, speed, speed. Medicated up to my eyes and sitting up in the hospital, Grandpa handed me a mini-DVD player, and the familiar face shot up. I could never tell you in those earlier videos if these were done back-to-back -back or months apart, but Mom still looked radiant. Albeit, more coughing in each iteration. Hi, Pumpkin. It's Mommy. Though I'm sure by now you're probably cringing at the mere mention of me referring to myself that way. Oh god, do people still say cringe? It's hard to know what the world you're in is like anymore. But moms are never supposed to be cool, are they? She chuckled. A faraway look in her eye as the pit of my stomach expanded. No. I thought. Tears in my eyes. Gripping the sheets with my good hand. I want you to say those things. I want you to embarrass me. <laughs> well, if you're watching this, then you've broken your first bone. I hope it's a bit later in life and... Not when you're so upset you can't even hear me. But sweetie, this is an important life lesson that I wanted to be there for. Pain happens. It's a part of our world, and everyone in it must experience it. Sometimes it's physical, like now when your body hurts so much that you want to yell and cry out. Sometimes it's emotional, which you get when someone upsets you, hurts your feelings. Something you might also feel from seeing my face right now, which I'm sorry for. She trailed off. That weak smile plastered across her face like the greatest lie ever told. She took a breath and I heard the quivers in her voice both from sadness and from sickness. But, you are my little crown prince, and while you're watching the throne, I know you'll do great things and overcome anything that stands in your way. You know why? Why? I breathed, my body radiating with hot pain, but my heart aching. I leaned in as she leaned in, like sharing a secret only we would ever know. Because you are my son, and my love for you 
will push you to do anything. She whispered, my face involuntarily growing into a smile without even realizing. Just don't look at the wall behind me. My eyes were fixed on hers. A small sliver of background visible behind her ear. As my eyes slowly broke from her gaze and traveled over, she spoke again. Don't. A frantic whisper escaped her lips. My eyes snapped back as a pale shade shifted out of sight. Blinking once, I saw she was sitting back in the chair, talking as if nothing had happened. Had I dozed off? I was on high pain medication. It wasn't impossible. I'm running out of time. These are only supposed to be short, so I'll finish up here. Mommy loves you, my little crown prince. Close your eyes and breathe with me. Again, I did as I instructed, and heard a distinct creaking sound from the speakers, undoubtedly her settling into her chair. I'll always be with you. So the years went. Fewer milestone videos popped up. Some of them are simply mundane or not that noteworthy not why we're here. But the usual events, first day as a freshman, last day as a senior, prom night, and even an embarrassing one wherein a 17-year-old me had the most uncomfortable 15 minutes of being explained dating etiquette and safe sex by my long-gone mother. By the time I'd reached 21, only four tapes remained. Grandpa Mihail had passed, and Grandma Sousa was getting on. So they were given to me with the obvious instruction to not watch them until the time was right. And this is the part where things take a turn. A bad breakup, bad life choices, even worse friendship choices with substances readily available. A lifetime of insecurities stemming from no parental figures all the love in the world to my grandparents, but it's not the same. And a series of videos from your long-dead mom are enough to fuck anyone up. So I grabbed a bottle, some pills, and put the next video in, planning to binge them before I took my leave. I mean, fuck it. What's the harm if I'm ending it all, right? The video flickered and cast a long shadow across my dismal apartment, before the visage of my mom came into focus. It had been a couple years since the last video, and in my emotionally unstable drunken state, I was not prepared for what I saw. Emaciated, sunken eyes, and a slack jaw. Her tongue hanging out and drooping to the bottom of her chin. Thick, pungent saliva, with her concave chest heaving under the weight of the oxygen machine wrapped around her face. A looming shadow with two bright blue orbs for eyes and jagged pillars for teeth wrapping its arms around her. It locked eyes with me and cocked its head to the side. It croaked 
my skin bubbling with fear and chilling my blood. I had never felt a terror like it. It felt like it knew me and saw into me. I recoiled and in my cocktail of fear and horror, wretched up everything I'd downed not ten minutes earlier. A torrid mixture of bile, acid, pill, and booze spread over my carpet as tears ran down my face. My stomach ached, and every cell in my body screamed at me in protest. The thoughts swirling in my thick skull were that of disappointment, disgust, and repulsiveness. I felt weak, alone and broken as I collapsed onto the floor in the fetal position sobbing. Sweetie, it's mom. Through blurred eyes and a haze of pain, I looked at the TV half expecting some emaciated creature to lurch through. But there was my mom. She looked tired, her hair now matted to her head, and exhaustion racking her bones beauty radiating through her as she held her hands in her lap and leaned forward smiling. If you're watching this, then things are bad. I don't know how bad, but I can guess. Grandpa wouldn't have let you watch this if you'd gotten your heart broken or were at that age where emotions are as high as a kite and just as volatile. So I can assume that much like me, you're in a bad place. She coughed, and I felt the need to sit up and give her my full attention. This woman, no more than six years my senior, frozen in time, still finding ways to command my attention with her every word. It was like I was five again. Sweetie, I know I can't talk to you like a child anymore, so I won't. Honestly, I'd been so excited to see you grow up, to go through that phase where we bicker and argue over small things, before finally settling into the longest and most beautiful phase of our family dynamic. I watched her lips quiver and eyes glaze over, my own mirroring as she shakily concluded. The one where we're best friends who always look out for each other. That broke me. Every emotion I trained myself to hide away when kids started asking questions I couldn't answer. Situations I'd wanted my mom in. Moments I felt alone. I let it out in one volatile evening of self-healing. The words on that tape echoing in my head long after it stopped playing. The road ahead will be tough without me. It was always going to be, but you're the crown prince, and you'll eventually have that throne. Survey your kingdom, and know you can do anything, and conquer anything. It's getting closer now, but we still have some time left, so don't let whatever is going on beat you, nor the thing after that. The penguins didn't, did they? I'm sure Grandpa told you, but they're my favorite. 
Those little birds share the burden of parenthood, walk over 100 miles and nearly starve to cultivate new life. I do all of that and more for you, honey, because... She closed her eyes, and I did too. Without prompting, we said it together. I'll, I'll always be with you. be with you. It took time to get better. All things do. I would spend so many nights in withdrawal with the shakes, vomit, and staring up at a horrific beast looming over my head. Like the thing on the TV, but foggier. It'd imitate my movements and try to get closer. With every step, its eyes would glow just a bit brighter. Everything else remaining shrouded in darkness. Even if light passed through my curtains. I don't know how I made it through that time in my life. One night, as it made its way to the foot of my bed, I closed my eyes and breathed on instinct, reciting my mother's mantra. I suppose in moments of crisis, we turned to our most personal coping mechanisms, and I wasn't about to go back to the bottle. When I finished, it was gone. Over the years, I completed my program, got clean, and went through therapy to cope with the grief. When I hit 26, I met the second most important woman in my life. Natalie. She knew what it was like to go through pain and to go through suffering alone. To play with the wrong demons. We fell in love. We got engaged. And eventually married. As she had been countless times before, my mom was there to congratulate us. Natalie had seen some tapes, but this was her first one that in its own way was directed to her. Mom was nearing the end by this point, her thin frame barely clinging to her always beautiful dresses, and her skin beginning to stretch like paper. She took great gulps of air from the oxygen tank before talking, but somehow retained that exuberance she'd always had. I knew you'd find someone wonderful eventually, Nick. Penguins always find their mate for life, and you'd been no exception. She giggled through strained coughs, turning her head slightly as if she could see Natalie. I don't know you, but I bet you're the most beautiful woman in the world. If my crown prince chose you, well, after me, of course... Another laugh, this time accompanied by tears from the two of us. There's just one more to go. So, look after each other. Love well and experience everything you can. And don't forget... Natalie gripped my hand with her left a hand on her bump with the right as we closed our eyes. I could hear the scratching sound more prominently now, but I kept my eyes shut, I'll always not wanting to ruin the you. moment. We were so excited to have a baby. Natalie had come from a big family and was eager to start expanding our own. Even though I was reluctant, 
I couldn't help but share in her enthusiasm when so many late nights were spent fawning over baby names, cute outfits, and lofty plans for the future on how our kid would even behave around us. Determined to be cool parents. But in between all of that, my mind would cast back to those tapes of my mom, the only parent I really knew. I wanted to use them as a guidebook for my own steps. She'd been such an integral part of life, it seemed. Odd to not have her in it now. Keeping the last tape separate, I rewatched the entire set one by one, reliving those moments I couldn't truly appreciate until my own burgeoning journey into parenthood. But when I got to the broken bone tape, I froze. Once again, she leaned into the camera and whispered, eyes full of fright and panic. Here. Don't look. I pushed pause on the video and took a moment. Surely, I was just highly medicated at the time. There couldn't really be anything there, right? So, why was I so reluctant to move my eyes to the right to find out? Taking a breath, I moved the video frame by frame and watched the corner where her face didn't cover. That shadow. That same fucking shadow. Looming in the background, eyes burning red with fury. Don't look, don't look, don't look. I jumped. The video was skipping, stuck on the sounds of my mother's panic-stricken voice begging me not to stare, but I couldn't help it. I stared and watched this creature take confident, unnatural, and twitchy strides from the background, getting ever closer to the camera. I saw the muscles on its face twist and undulate as it pressed its cheeks up into a twisted grin. The sight of rot and earth and unspeakable things in its mouth all displaying themselves in full glory as it intonated one word that sent screams through my home before shutting off. <laughs> Natalie was eight months gone. Petite and a history of prior drug abuse. They said her heart just couldn't take it. Her body gave out, and that it was a miracle her daughter survived. I took it all in, and yet, none of it, as I cradled my entire universe in my arms. The second greatest woman I'd ever known, now taken from me too. Phoebe, I breathed, unable to take my eyes off of her perfect little face as she slept soundly, just twelve feet from her dead mother. Her name is Phoebe and she is the crown princess. Somewhere in the corner of my eye, a shadow cast itself over Natalie's bed, right as they put the sheet over her. From that night on, there would always be noises outside our home. Always faint, howling. Always a solitary spot in the front of the property where no light could touch it. For a while, I forgot about the videos, forgot about everything that wasn't Phoebe. Raising her became priority number one 
and I would work any extra hours I needed to, give up any friendship I had to, and spite myself in whatever way was necessary to ensure that my perfect girl slept soundly at night. It wasn't until Phoebe's second birthday last week that I finally got the courage to dig out the videos and watch the last one. How many times had I sat in a home, emotionally destroyed and at a crossroads in my life, waiting to see this woman's face and hope she'd somehow have the magic words to guide me? As the picture flickered on, the logo shining up on screen, I cast my head back with a mixture of surprise and sadness as I realized the significance of the year. I was older than her now. Hi, sweetie. I guess we've finally reached the end, huh? Her voice sounded... younger. I looked down and saw her standing up. No chair or wallpaper in sight. It looked like she was recording this in her bedroom. A picture of hell, all things considered. Her eyes red from crying, but her voice unwavering. Like she prepared these words carefully. This is technically the final video for you, but the first for me. Weird how this all works, but this is how it needs to happen. If you're watching this, you've got your own little princess to protect. The crown prince has now become the king, and I couldn't be prouder. She beamed but my stomach tightened at those words. Your own little princess. I breathed, my chest tightening. How did she know? I imagine you're now wondering how I know. Well, that's not the important part. What's important is if you saw what you think you saw. Within the videos, between the frames. There is something lurking here, Nick. Something ancient. I felt the house shudder, settling into place, no doubt. But I couldn't separate myself from the fear running through my body. It feeds on misfortune. It watches from the shadows and waits for small, tiny windows to make itself known. I don't know where it came from or what it is, but I know what it wants. A rumbling behind me, the sound of wood splintering and creaking, the unmistakable sound of tapping that I'd heard every time we did the mantra at the end of a video. I was shaking, but I didn't stop watching. It wants us, Nick. We seem to be a source for it. When it finishes using us, it moves on. A long time ago, I was told that if I captured it in film, solidified it in these repeatable tapes, it would slow down, maybe even stop it. I have no idea if it'll work, but you deserve to know now that you can almost certainly see it, too. 
Because if it doesn't stop here, if you start to see it, start to experience misfortune. My heart skipped, tripping over the stairs and narrowly missing cracking my skull as a child, losing my first tooth, the hit and run that shattered my arm, my first broken bone, marrying and losing Natalie, my first love. Oh no. Oh god, no. I willed my body to move, to leap out of the seat and rush to Phoebe's room. But I had to hear the rest through, screaming at my mom to tell me the solution. When your dead Mihail told me about our curse, how he took me in after my father died, about how it passes from father to daughter, mother to son, and so forth. You can try to avoid it, but it always finds a way. She looked down in shame, clutching at her sleeves. Truth be told, I didn't want to get pregnant. But things have a way of happening, and I knew I couldn't give you up. She glanced behind her, something off-camera scaring her into grabbing at her arms and rubbing them. Shame and fear on her face. I'm so sorry, baby. But I want you to know that there is power in these words. In these videos. I will do everything I can to protect you. Just like I know you'll protect your child. No matter who it hurts in the process. Because... One last time. I just had to close my eyes one last time. And it would all be over. I did it on instinct. It didn't matter that there was a slew of sounds alerting me to an invading presence in my home. That it was rapidly approaching me. All that mattered was the mantra. I'll be here for you. Always. But what I heard parroting me back was not my mother. A guttural, inhuman voice barked back the phrase and I swear I felt its breath inches from my face. I felt eyes unrestricted by pupils or sockets spin around, focusing on my weakest point. But I didn't waver. After a few agonizing moments, it darted away and out of view leaving only the static of the TV to keep me aware that I wasn't, in fact, dreaming. As soon as I knew it was safe, I ran to Phoebe's room and checked on her, convinced that she was next in a long line of losses, convinced that some otherworldly specter had taken her from me, convinced I would be alone again. You can imagine my relief when I opened the door to find her softly sleeping clutching her teddy bear with its own attached blankie. The same toy my mom had given me. I looked at her with the enormity of the situation overshadowing me. The realization she was the same age I was when my mom got diagnosed. The realization that soon, I would be the one making a slew of videos for milestones I'd never get to see her inherit. 
my crown princess's kingdom of nightmares. And I don't know if this is what my mother intended, but I took those words at the end to heart. Protect your child, no matter who it hurts in the process. I'm sorry, everyone. I don't know how this translates across mediums, but there is power in describing an old and malevolent force. Just like there is seeing it in the corner of your eye, or when you experience a lucky break from death, a misstep here, and a wrong turn there. You'll always see it. My mother gave up everything to buy time. Give me the chance to right the wrongs and find a better way. A way that involves my daughter growing up with her father in her life. Without the plague of whatever this is hanging over either of us. Maybe you won't be the one. Maybe it will simply look at you and find you not to its liking, as it did to me that fateful night. Inches away from my flesh, and determining that I simply wasn't ripe enough yet. But someone will come across this, and it will bite. It will bite and never let go. Be it nightmares, sleep paralysis, a slew of unfortunate mishaps, or something flitting in the corner of your eye, it'll be there. Whatever it is. Waiting. I wish you well. And I hope you don't judge me too harshly. But to me, and to Phoebe, family is everything. So close your eyes, and take a deep breath. Because I'll always be with you. Hello everyone, Silverthreads here. Just going off script a little bit. I want to thank you all for listening and participating in the channel as much as you do. As of recording this, I'm at 430 subscribers and quite frankly, I didn't think I'd get that far within a year. This march was full of some fantastic stories. I particularly liked The Cove, uh, which was written by our very own horror narrator, uh, Charlie Blackmore. And I got to participate in some very fun collabs with some close friends of mine. The story about the suicides happening in the town, that was actually the largest collab that I've ever actually worked on. The experience I got from that will make future collabs actually a lot easier. Honestly, if you made it this far, you are one of the very few people who actually watched the whole video. And for that, thank you so much. You are awesome. Uh, either that or you fell asleep. <laughs> either way, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you all for this wonderful month of March, and uh, can't wait to see what April brings. So take care, everyone, and I'll see you next time with another story.